Hey, this is Brian Alexander from Expressing the Genius Within. And if you want to leverage your message to gain deeper influence and build a lasting legacy, you should be listening to the stories that talents needed to succeed. But in the day and age we live in, skill is not enough. Your story is the most powerful tool in your arsenal. This show will help you tap into that resource and learn how to leverage your message to gain deeper influence and build a lasting legacy. Tune in each week as thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and authors share how they built empires on the backs of their story. You're listening to Stories That Sell with your host, Scott Ramage. In this episode of Stories That Sell, I sit down and chat with Brian Alexander. Brian is a consultant and a talent optimization specialist. He's also the director of sales for a medical laser device that's used in the dental industry. In this episode, you'll learn about putting people in the right seats. Whether you're a business of one or a business of a thousand, you have something that you can implement and learn from this episode. I hope you enjoy. Hey, before we get started... Imagine having a team of virtual assistants helping you out with everything from scheduling appointments, nurturing leads, processing payments, sending out marketing emails, creating content, managing your social media accounts, and so much more. VAs for Gyms is here to make sure your business runs as smoothly as possible so that you can focus on what matters most, serving your clients. We offer a wide range of services that will completely run your business and give you the one thing everything everybody is limited on, more time. Check out our website at www.vasforgyms.com. That's V-A-S-F-O-R-Gyms.com and book an appointment to find out more. Woo. Welcome to the show, Brian Alexander. I am so <laughs> pumped to have you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We, we booked this a long time ago. I, I got you right when I was planning this out. So been waiting and yeah. been anticipating talking, talking with you and hearing your story. Uh, what, do you, what have you been up to lately? Um, I actually just got back from about a month long trip back home to Chicago, visiting family. We just moved to Savannah from Chicago in January. So spent a month back home in Chicago, saw family and then uh, had them come out here for about a week. So it's been, uh, been a whirlwind almost month and a half now and finally back to the grind. So, yeah, yeah. I love that you've designed a life pretty much where you can go and go back to your kind of homeland, Chicago visit family, uh, kind of set your foot back on that, that turf and then move back to wherever you want. And I believe you have an RV and you're kind of doing that thing with your family as well. Is that correct? We, we rent RVs uh, when we take trips. We That's never awesome. ended up buying one, but we're, we ended up moving instead of buying an RV. So we moved to Savannah um, and then we're building a house out here. But with the state of the world, uh, it definitely looks like I'm going to be buying an Airstream, the little interstate van with the you know kitchen and the little little bathroom and, and shower so that's going to be a backup plan for sure that's awesome that's awesome so savannah georgia before we get into this why savannah georgia it's savannah georgia correct did i get the right state savannah georgia <laughs> um man after 2020 my wife we always knew we wanted to live by the ocean uh we didn't know where we thought maybe san diego um but after 2020 we're like all right we just need change i don't care what it is and i'm not going to be locked down in 
a freezing cold state if uh, lockdowns happen again in 2021, right? So uh, we ended up just kind of picking a point on the map, doing a little bit of research and moving the family, just me, my wife and my two little girls and didn't know anybody, never been here before, just plopped down and, and started, uh, started to build from there. That's so cool, man. I admire that. I admire that you're like just out there getting your adventure on and experiencing new areas and, uh, and also kind of maintaining that little bit of independence that uh, is really important. So I, uh, yeah, I'm pumped to hear your story. I've heard parts of your story before. So uh, you can you can start wherever is relevant in your in your journey of life. Oh, boy. Um, <clears throat> so there's, you know, I think we're all kind of uh, always in a state of becoming and all of our life events really make us what we are. So everything that we've done has prepared us to do what we're about to do. Um, so there's so many different starting points that I could begin at, but probably the one before where I met you and a lot of your friends um, in the gym world, I was at CDW in, um, in their sales department. And it was kind of like this, you know, I hadn't really had a corporate job. This was probably 15 years ago now, maybe even longer. And uh, started there, started, you know, in the, the, they call it the academy, the sales academy. So never had a corporate job, started there, you know, thought it was time to grow up when I was like 28 or something after partying my, through my 20s. And they throw you into a sales academy at the cold call, you know, hundreds of people a day. It was kind of this miserable thing that I just did not enjoy in the beginning. Um, but it was this weird thing when I began doing CrossFit during that time period, I began to kind of connect the dots of having a growth mindset and really kind of putting in effort and then seeing a result. So prior to that, I think I had more of a fixed mindset about life, but CrossFit was this weird thing that kind of flipped this switch and kind of connected that dot for me and showed me it was this aha moment of, oh, okay, if you work really hard at something, even if you're not naturally good or talented at it, you could become better uh, and even great. So I ended up using kind of that mindset that I gained from CrossFit immediately in sales and went from being a miserable uh, person, employee that wanted to quit every day. I would go home to my girlfriend, who's my wife now, I married her at the time. And I would come home. I'm like, this is just not for me. I, I just want to quit. Like, you know, I, this is miserable. It's terrible. People are hanging up on me. They're swearing at me. Uh, but little by little, I started coming home with some wins, some good stories. And uh, I ended up becoming top 10% in the company in their healthcare vertical, one of their top salespeople over the course of about seven years. So that was kind of like my, my genesis in terms of learning a growth mindset. Um, that actually rolled into from starting CrossFit, gaining the growth mindset, doing really well in life and sales, becoming a better, you know, boyfriend at the time, a better son, a better employee, a better everything. Um, five years kind of into that, I ended up opening um, a gym as a hobby, a CrossFit gym as a hobby, because I was so in love with CrossFit. I just wanted to share what I learned through that experience with everybody. And I think like most uh, gym owners, you know, when you're in the beginning of gym ownership, you're obsessed and you're kind of naive and you're 
full of energy and, you know, passion and you can work 20 hours a day. And uh, that was what we did. So I, you know, I didn't quit my job at the time. Um, I ended up coaching the 5 a.m. I'd go to work all day at CDW. My wife would coach the 9 a.m. And I'd come back home and coach the 6 and 7 o'clock on ramp and be done by 9 o'clock p.m. Home and in bed by 10. And then I'd do it all again. So, you know, I was sleeping very little. I was uh, just energized and on fire with passion. And did it for about two years. Um, maybe a year and a half before I realized like, I can't keep, can't keep this up, this pace. You know what I mean? Um, so we were doing still crushing it at CDW. Then we started doing really well at the gym and I made a decision to leave CDW, uh, and focus on the gym full time. Yeah. So you talk about this, getting this kind of this growth mindset from your experience or exposure to CrossFit. So it actually, that actually bled over into your professional life where you went from miserable to excelling at a very, very high level. What kind of, you know, what was that time frame like? Like, did it, was it pretty immediate for you or was there a little bit of a, like a curve? Explain that process. It, it was fairly immediate. Um, I can't say exactly like how many months for sure within the first year. Um, but it was one of those things where, you know, with CrossFit, you, you had to go and check your ego at the door 100%, um, have a beginner's mindset. And it was just something that allowed me to connect the dot and transfer it into everything I did in, in everyday life. And it just made me a better human being in general. And, and that was the, the motivation and the, the, the reason why I wanted to share that with everybody. Um, the name I came up with the gym uh, for the gym was CrossFit Illumin. And it was this, you know, light bulb moment, this aha moment that I wanted to share with everybody. It was never really about fitness or that. It was really more about making that connection. Yeah. Yeah. I loved your logo, by the way. It was very cool. You make this move. You do, you do what so many gym owners do. You start it as a passion project or as a little hobby thing and you you burn the the candle at both ends, if you will. Were you married at that point? Yeah. Not married. No, actually, I'm sorry. Yeah. We we were just married uh, after I started doing CrossFit and then obviously opening the gym shortly after that. Okay. So you get into CrossFit and uh, you have Lumen in Chicago area. And then then what happens? So it just, it blew up. It took off. I, I literally, I probably couldn't have stayed at CDW if I wanted to. You know, it was just doing amazing. It was right right place, right time. You know, the, the energy that we had was ridiculous. It was amazing. Um, and we were able to build something pretty unique and incredible in the Chicagoland suburbs from a brand perspective. Um, I think our biggest revenue year overall was like 750 grand. So it was, it was like a pretty decent operation, um, but it definitely required a lot of my time and energy. Um, I soon after that got involved in uh, business mentoring with Two Brain Business, um, which was an amazing experience. Taught me, you know, a lot about business and, you know, just kind of every, you know, again, it's another kind of lily pad that brought me to where I'm at today. So. I think about two years into gym ownership or maybe three years into gym ownership, I started doing business mentoring um, because I kind of figured it out and I was working with Chris Cooper and his team. And uh, he asked me to be one of their business mentors. And it was, it was me and like four of the people that were their first business mentors at the time. Um, You know, and it was all about systems and processes and kind of teaching the recipe for success. So it was a pretty amazing thing. I actually did that for, for three years. Yeah. 
Well, when I met you, golly, I don't remember the date, so I'm not, I'm not even trying to guess, but I met you, we actually were meeting for uh, an event that Chris Cooper puts on, it's called the Two Brain Summit, and it was at your gym in Chicago. Um, so let's talk about like that, that time from leaving uh, your sales position to kind of, kind of let's, let's talk about that transition. What, what was it like? Uh, what were the ups and downs? And then uh, take us beyond that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was, it was a, a scary leap, um, but I'm kind of a, an agent for change. I do really well with risk and uncertainty. Um, some of my behavioral patterns indicate that. And, and, you know, now I know that about myself, but before people just kind of saw that as maybe, uh, you know, being a little bit too risky or, you know, it's just maybe chaotic or maybe, <laughs> maybe some other words that they might've described, right. But leaving a $250,000, $300,000 a year job to then go run a gym was kind of like nuts. People at CDW looked at me like, what do you, you just worked seven years to get here and you're only going up. Like, why would you leave? Um, but I just was unfulfilled. You know, it was just a number in the machine, um, you know, 6,000 employees, one of those things. And I just needed to experience being on my own, running my own business, being my own boss and building something. Um, because by building anything, you know, you, you, you build yourself as you go as well. Right. So I knew that was going to be part of the process. I knew I wasn't ready for it. Um, you know, all that fun stuff, but, um, I dove in head first and it was, it was, um, it was amazing. It was, it was like some of the best years of our life in terms of building it to a point where it was just incredible. Um, but also, you know, it, it held some of the, the most challenging years of our life, you know, challenged our relationship. Um, it's just, it's a very taxing um, from an energy and a bandwidth standpoint, no matter how much you outsource, there's still like these tethers that tether you to every single member and their success and their ups and downs. And in every single coach, every single employee and running a big operation with, you know, two, 300 members plus, you know, 20 employees, even if you're not in the business, you're still, uh, you're still attached. So um, that was something we always kind of struggled with as a, a married couple and then soon to be, you know, having small children to, to nurture as well um, over the years of, of owning that business. So, yeah, I think a lot of, if, you know, a lot of business owners, entrepreneurs listening to this probably are like relating, oh yeah, been through, been through the growth, been through the, I own this business. Now I have, like you said, these tethers, like there, it seems like they're never ending. You try to, you try to snip one and it, it's, you can't break through all the cords. There's always a little piece tied to your business. And I think there's some that are tied directly to your heart and your brain. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And, and 20 employees, that's, that's a lot. And over 200 members, that's a lot of people to manage, make happy or, you know, create a relationship with, be happy. Um, so you talked about really getting your systems in order, you know, you know, as a business owner, that's something that we say is really super important is having systems, SOP, people doing the right things, but you made a whole inroads with kind of understanding how to place people within a, within, a, within your own company. And I, I kind of would love to transition, transition to that right now. First of all, how did that come up? You can explain to the listeners what exactly you, you came across and, and how that happened and what it did for your business. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, you know, it stemmed from banging my head against the wall, um, for too long. And then having hundreds of maybe, maybe probably even close to a thousand mentoring calls from, you know, with two brain clients, having a, 
a big data set and seeing the same problems over and over again within my own gym and then everybody else's gym. And I came to a realization that systems and processes, they are very important, of course, but having the right people in the right seats was equally important, if not even more important, depending on your viewpoint and your vantage point. Um, And a lot of giving good people uh, the wrong opportunities for who they were and allowing it to really kind of paralyze them and crush them and take away their magic. Um, the way I like to kind of, you know, explain this is, you know, if you have a starting lineup for a basketball team, you have a, a point guard, a shooting guard, small forward, power forward and center, and they all have these unique attributes that allow them to play their positions well, right? All, but these are physical attributes, but of course, if you take that whole team off the court and bring them to the bench and you put the point guard at, at power forward, shooting guard at center, and then you throw them back onto the court, the players are going to be just miserable. They're going to go to work every day getting beat up. The fans are going to be upset. The, um, the coach is going to be upset. And you're not setting these people up for success. So uh, what I learned was it doesn't matter how great your strategy is. It doesn't matter how good your systems and processes are. It matters who you have in that seat. Is it the right person for that role? Um, and if not, you're going to continue to play whack-a-mole or, you know, I even like to say like, you know, owning a business and being a, a CEO or a, a entrepreneur, you have maybe 10 balls that you're juggling in the air. And, and if you're delegating, maybe you have 10 balls that you've delegated out. But if you delegate wrong, you're going to have four balls fall at the same time. And that's catastrophic, right? So as a business owner, you have to figure out like, how do I get this ball to float as long as possible without me having to touch it? Or if you want to think about it as, you know, um, gears in a machine, you want those gears to run as long as possible without maintenance, right? So getting the right people into the right seats is all about getting the machine to run as long as possible and as well as possible without constant maintenance. Yeah. And, and I've, I've seen this pattern and we both come from a, you know, I owned a, a CrossFit gym and I've been working with, with, with CrossFit gym owners and fitness uh, facility gym or gym owners for a long time. We've both seen this over and over and over again. It's banging their head. The owners banging their heads against the wall because they can't get certain things done. And I think what happens so frequently is and this, this goes way beyond the fitness world. So if you're not in the fitness world, you still, stay tuned in is you, you see someone, they're awesome. They're really good. Maybe they're coming to you in this situation to be a coach. And they're like, I I love coaching. I want to connect with people. And the next thing you know, well, I have this other thing I need done every week. I need this report filled, or I need these phone calls made. It's like, Oh, naturally, Hey, you got a little more time. Here you go. I want to give you more money. Do this thing. Um, you, maybe you can explain what happens in that kind of scenario and, and what you came up, came up, came across and how you fixed that kind of situation. Yeah, I mean, you know, it came very similar to, to that. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs um, deal with that as well. Entrepreneurs, you know, have limited resources, everybody wants to kind of help if they're bought into the mission. I call it the, uh, the favor economy. It's uh, the most good. catastrophic thing that could happen to you. <laughs> um, you never want to engage in the favor economy, even though in the beginning, most of us do anyway. Um, but, you know, taking, you know, a really good person, a really good um, coach, a really good anything, and giving them the wrong opportunity, it begins to drain them and take away their magic, their energy, 
and they become resentful of you or the job or the people they're helping, or you become resentful of them wondering why they can't just get this done in the way you might do it um, or the way you think they should do it. So it, it really, you know, it builds a lot of kind of mistrust and resentment when you get it wrong. And a lot of us just, you know, blindly assign different things to people and we're glad to take any help we can get, but you really gotta be strategic and, and smart about what does that person do uniquely well? And let's figure out how to get them to do more of that. Right. But you can't do that without measurements, right? Without reliable, predictable, repeatable measurements or data. Um, that's really where I came across some of these scientifically validated behavioral assessments. After a while, you know, I would just say, oh, why can't this person do this? And what's wrong with this person? You know, what the heck's wrong with this person? And after a while, I'm like, well, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I need to look in the mirror as a leader and say, I, I think there is a missing link in this whole puzzle beyond systems and processes, beyond just having good people that want to help. It's about getting the right people in the right seats and, and doing it again, strategically using data. Um, you know, we always make, we always use data to make business decisions, right? But we never make use data to make people decisions. It's always this gut, you know, feeling like, yep, let's just give him that. He seems like he'll be good at that or she'll, she'll be good at that. Right. Yeah. It's so it's, I, I've been fascinated with this for years, how we are uh, as business owners and um, entrepreneurs are, are told to be uh, data driven. We, we should drive our decisions and spend the money and do the thing based on data. Yet we seem to kind of categorize that into finance only. Like I'm going to collect data or, or on results. And we're mm -hmm. looking at, you know, how many clients we have and how many we've lost keeping charts and, and all these KPIs yet we've totally neglected like keeping uh, using data to put people in the right seats. So you, you, that's now something that you are, you're literally an expert on in what happened once you started utilizing these, this data, the scientific backed resources to putting people in the right seats. So, you know, of course, first I, I, I learned it for myself. Um, I implemented it with my own team at, at Illumin at the gym, um, and really just kind of started over with a, a blank slate, uh, really began to build trust with the team got their buy-in, um, began to teach them about what they are uniquely good at, um, what their strengths are, kind of uh, allowed them to really appreciate what everybody brings to the table. So I had a, you know, a nice sandbox for my own self and my own problems uh, within the gym that I was able to identify and fix specific people problems and challenges. And then, you know, I began, you know, teaching other people kind of how to do this within other gyms. But after a while, I'm like, okay, well, I love gyms, but I actually think that I could do or make a bigger impact in bigger companies, right? I can help more people, um, bigger problems to solve. You know, after being in the gym world for eight years, I feel like I've seen every problem at, at that time. Um, I've solved almost every problem or I know how it could or should be solved. It was just less exciting for me. And we knew we kind of wanted to get out of the gym world anyway, from an ownership perspective. So I began, you know, I just jumped into a brand new category where I had zero contacts. Um, and I jumped into, you know, the, the corporate world and back into the corporate world. But now as a consultant for my own company, helping other companies uh, with hiring and selection, 
with um, reducing turnover, with increasing employee engagement, with building, strategically building high-performing teams, all using this data. And, you know, it was exciting for me because it was something that was brand new in terms of the, the pond that I was swimming in. I knew nothing about it. And it was just something, another mountain to conquer, right? Yeah. Yeah. You have this tendency. I think a lot of entrepreneurs have this tendency is I've, I've kind of mastered this. I understand it. I need something different. I need something bigger. And it seems like you've always got kind of been reaching for something bigger. So you get into this, um, you know, talent optimization is really what you're doing is optimizing the talent within a, within an organization. So what kind of businesses did you end up working with and what did you kind of see happen as, as a process of integrating your services and, and your insight? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so you're right. So if, if you're not growing personally, you're dying. Right. Okay. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs do get to that point where no matter what, if you're not growing or you don't have the platform or the opportunity to grow as an individual, even if you're allowing others to grow, gaping void that you feel you might not know how to, uh, how to articulate. Um, you might not even know what to do about it, but you know it's there. And I'm somebody that's very, very in tune with that feeling. I've done it in over and over and over again in my life. And I've reinvented myself over and over and over again in my life. And part of that's due to my, my you know, risk taking. Um, I've had some massive failures that allowed me to grow and they were very painful. But understanding that, you know, failing massively is not the end of the world. And it was just jumping off point to something greater. And, and you have to just continue to go through that in order to grow. Otherwise, you're just comfortable, but you kind of you're dying. So if you're comfortable, you're dying. Um, I knew that. So what I did was, I knew my previous um, background in at CDW, I was working with, you know, 5,000 employee companies, 10,000 employee companies, I, I was selling IT. But if you know how to sell one thing, you know how to sell everything. Um, so between CDW as my background, the gym ownership and gym mentoring, I was able to kind of meld those together. And again, you know, everything I've done in the past led me exactly to what I'm doing today. And they all kind of contributed um, to the, the experience that I needed to be confident to do this. And I just started reaching out. I, you know, jumped on LinkedIn. I started making some content on my own and I started, you know, targeting CEOs and people that I could relate to that had problems that I could solve. And I always say, you know, do they have a problem that I could solve? And if the answer is yes, then is the juice worth the squeeze for them? And if the answer is yes, then it's a no brainer for both of us. And we're going to work together. And, you know, typically it looks like a company has a position that has high turnover. Say it's a $100,000 a year general manager position. Um, I know that that costs the company about 250 grand in total, tangible wow. and intangible costs, if that turns over, um, you know, whether it's interviewing for the new person, lost production, the entire team having to kind of stop what they're doing to fill in, you know, all of that. There's a, about a, a two and a half time multiplier in it. Um, so I know that it's very expensive and if I can solve the problem for 40 grand, uh, on a $250,000 problem, then it's a no brainer. So, you know, all of the experience from mentoring and sales and everything that I've done as a, an entrepreneur and business owner allows me to go in and, and talk intelligently and empathetically with these people. Um, and then, you know, really just look for problems that I can help solve. Yeah. I love the, the data you just popped out. 
like a hundred thousand dollar job is going to cost a company. What do you say? $250,000 in a year, pretty much kind of, is that because of training, the hiring process, yeah. people involved, hiring process, recruiting, training, um, all of that. It's a general, you know, general number. Um, very in line though for, for, you know, mid to high level positions. Oh yeah. And it is a big pain point and turnover should be on the PL. Uh, as a line item, but it's not right. It gets swept under the rug, um, but it's, it's expensive and it's killing companies. It kills people, even small businesses. You know, if something turns over, then the owner entrepreneur has to stop what they're doing from a strategy standpoint and jump in and fill in for a month. Even a day is too much. Um, so getting it right is really important. You're going in and you're helping them. One, are you helping them move people to the right positions or hire the people for the right positions or readjust their current organization or all of the above? All of the above. Um, hiring and selection, creating job archetypes, uh, job archetypes, behavioral requirements for a role, and then putting the right people in the right seat right out of the gate. Um, but also looking at your talent inventory and then creating meaningful career roadmaps for them based on who they are and where they are based on merit. And then here's you know who I think I could groom for this position. So showing them that, you know, there is more, there's not a ceiling, you're not stuck um, and giving them, you know, a visual career path to, okay, you're here. Let's, you know, work here for three months and really crush it. Show us you have the drive, show us you have the, ethic, you know, the, the work ethic, the, you know, all of that. And I think we can train you and we can groom you for this, you know, sales manager position or this or that. So a lot of, a lot of both. And then, you know, stopping catastrophic, um, I'll say promotions. So taking a rock star salesperson and making them a manager oh, yeah. um, isn't always the best thing to do. It depends on who it is, but oftentimes it's actually the worst thing you can do for a top salesperson is make them management. And the, the reason why the, the top salesperson usually is because they don't, they're not wired like a manager. Um, so just knowing these nuances and being able to identify that, it really saves companies just a ton of headache and problem. Yeah, I remember you're not only working and helping the company, you're helping the individual. I remember when, you, when I first met you, I don't remember the conversation, but I ended up taking an assessment. You said, you need to take this. And so did the entire um, team that I was working for. It was a startup. So, and it was incredibly yeah. freeing to be able to say, okay, I am doing the right thing here. I can see why I'm experiencing friction, frustration, and you know, full break over in this area because it doesn't match what I'm doing. And, and I have used that over and over and over again to really steer my role in whatever I'm whatever business I'm working on or, or trying to build at that moment. And it's really helped me. It's also helped me understand the power of getting the right assessments for people as I'm like, hey, I think that person X would be really good for this role. So many times we get it wrong. But if you have some sort of scientific backed yeah. data with an assessment and I can give it to them and I'm like, yes. But what it's also done is when I'm working with a team and I'm ex someone else is experiencing frustration, I can go back and look and I'm like, oh, wow, we directed them in the wrong way. And there's a reason they're failing here. There's a reason they're feeling burnout or, or you know, not answering the phone or their emails fast. We got them going in the wrong direction. I think like I I would imagine right. most companies and small businesses are doing this completely wrong. 
Yeah, uh, the majority, but this is it's this is being mass adopted now uh, more so than ever, and a lot of it is coming down to doing what's best for the employee, right? Yep. Setting them up for success. So another analogy I like to use is the analogy of a rubber band. And because I lack a rubber band, I'm going to use my six-year-old daughter's hair tie. Um, (laughs) But our natural, our natural mode of operation, who we are, how we're hardwired, our DNA, imagine it being this little hair band, right? Or rubber band, if you want to imagine that. And we can stretch, right? We can stretch, we can do and be anything. But the question is, um, it has to be under constant tension and energy. And then how long and how well can we do that? And then what happens when we just let go and become ourselves again, right? We revert back to who we are. So we can teach people to stretch. And yes, you know, life is not a vacuum and we're not always going to be able to do every single thing that we're good at. So we learn to stretch. But the goal is to not allow people to stretch for too long um, and to allow them to work in their natural kind of uh, strength setting more often than not. And if you can get this right where they don't have to stretch too much, they're going to be happier in the role. They're going to be more fulfilled. They're going to go to work feeling better every day, more engaged. Um, they're not going to necessarily, you know, turn over like other, other people might if they're stretched all day long. They're not going to have mental breakdowns. You know what I mean? So they're yeah. the right person. They're a point guard playing point guard. And sure, they might have to like sub and play uh, sh- uh, shooting guard once in a while, but you can't have them playing center. That's just too far, right? It's going to snap. I think that's a, it's a really great illustration, not only for employees, but for ourselves as, you know, we're, we're talking a lot of entrepreneurs, business owners, uh, coaches who are developing their programs and they get bigger and bigger and bigger. And now they need people in place where we're uh, yeah. doing, we're filling every, every seat at the beginning and we're really stretching yeah. ourselves. I think entrepreneurs just have this little extra gear in them usually that allows them to do <laughs> To go way stretch yeah. way out. as you got into this and you started to really develop your your niche and really understand what kind of companies do you work with now when you when you're thinking through like this is where i've been this is what i'm doing what's your ideal company that you work through and and hey look let's talk about also uh if somebody doesn't fall within the, your ideal company some maybe some resources or directions for them as well yeah, so this stuff is applicable um, all the way down to one person, mm-hmm. right? So if you're an entrepreneur, um, anybody, I mean, you could be an employee, you could be a wife, husband, it doesn't matter. This is valuable information to understand how you're wired, um, you know, what your strengths are, how you best operate, what your drives, and then the needs and behaviors that are associated with those drives are. You know, self-awareness is, you know, a number one trait for leadership, period. And I don't care if you're a leader or if you think you're a leader, if you're a mom, if you're a family member, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a CEO, you're, if you're a human being, you're a leader to some degree. So understanding yourself gives you a better understanding of others and, and increases empathy and compassion and understanding um, for, for yourself, which is the most important, and then for others as well. So it's applicable for one, um, my niche and what I, I have uh, gravitated towards and worked towards is really like one or I'm sorry, a hundred to a thousand person companies. That's my niche. I could use this stuff all the way up to 5,000 person companies. I enjoy the one or 100 through 1000 employee companies, kind of my wheelhouse, but you could really use it for, for small teams of of five, of 10. You know, this stuff is very versatile. 
very functional uh, and relevant for any team or any person. That's uh, amazing. Again, I want to reiterate, when I took this assessment, I keep uh, multiple, actually multiple assessments, when I keep pulling in, um, pulling them back up, it's like these, every time it's a big aha moment, like, oh, that's why I'm experiencing frustration or anxiety or friction in a certain area of my life. And like, okay, as a business owner, as soon as I get to the point where I actually can put the right person in the place, it's going to expand my bandwidth where I really do operate best. So it's, it's actually really freeing and it gives me really good targets to aim for when building a business. Like I'm not going to hire someone where I am really good and where I get gain energy. I'm going to, the first thing I'm going to do is hire people where, where I'm not really well suited for. And I've just used the, the right that information just so often. So what I love about what you're doing with the VA for gyms is, Another realization I had was a big focus on like some of the mentoring or, or coaching is like how, 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 but if it's, you know, the, the wrong type of entrepreneur to teach other people the how it's kind of like wasted energy. And what you do is, is really like kind of what Dan Sullivan and, um, and his program, his coaching program was all centered on find the right who, and don't worry about the how, right? Let them worry right. about the how, cause they're wired for it. They're the perfect, like you, you can't teach them how to do something because you are not supposed to be doing that and you've never done it well. And you want to hire somebody who's way better than you at that to fill your gaps. So why would you focus on the, the how when you can just hire the right who, right? Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting story because as I, as I personally started to learn how to really leverage virtual assistants was when, I'm, when I freed myself, I, I, at first I thought I had to teach them how to do everything. Okay. I got to learn how to edit this so that I could teach you how to edit it. But as soon as I learned, no, I have this person that's really skilled in figuring out this type of stuff. This is what they're really good at. They're really good at data and reports. All I say is, hey, look, here's the results I want. Here's the resources that I have to find this information. Can you give me a couple of ways that might work? And they, they come back and they're like, hey, I did some research and this is the report I think mm -hmm. is going to work. And I'm like, holy cow, that's a hundred times better than I would have done. And it took me them a hundred times less time. And it, it really is. That's been the freedom. And, um, you know, I support that type of strategy for anybody, whether they use our services or their own. I, I don't care for me. It's it's a real it's freedom. It really is freedom because I don't need to know how. Uh, even even for yeah. a lot of the services we render, people are like, well, can you hop on and tell me how the VAs are doing that? And I'm like, nope, I can't. I mean, we can share the SOP with you, but they created it. I've never done it, nor do I ever want to do it. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 And it's it's big. It's big. When you finally get it, it's, it's life changing as an entrepreneur, as I don't care if you, you know, you work in a company or an entrepreneur, um, even if you allow your wife to do what she does best and you just trust her plan and her strategy and let her get to the end goal without telling her how to do it because she's wired better than you are for it. Then it's, you know, it applies to everything in life. Yeah. And as a, as an organization grows, you know, we were just doing our, our whole implemented traction, the EOS system and going through like, who's, yeah. Who's this person? Who's this? Per it was no brainer. Like, we're just like, we know because we know about ourselves. We know where we sit. Um, so it's been extremely powerful. Uh, you said something and I want to, I want to pivot a little bit. So you said something in a podcast as a guest recently, and um, you, you alluded to 
being a whale hunter. I think that it was, you were kind of identifying as a whale hunter and it would really stuck with me. It's like something I really love. Can you kind of give us insight to what you mean when you, you say that? Yeah. Um, I like the climb. I like the chase. I like the, the big kill, if you will. Um, when I was at CDW, you know, we had the opportunity to make a million a year. There was people, regular people doing it. So knowing that there was zero ceiling for your earning opportunity, all you had to do was figure the system out or figure the game out. You can do really well. I did, you know, I was doing, you know, better and better with the gym. I was doing that as well, but the only way to kind of scale that is multiple locations, which isn't necessarily twice as hard. It's kind of like five times as hard, right? more difficult to manage. And then if you wanted to make, let's say 500 grand a year, you probably need multiple gyms and you kind of know what each one's doing and there's no big upticks. And for me, I love the excitement of, of you know, a massive kill or, or getting a huge paycheck, not necessarily the, the money. I don't care about the money. It's just like the climbing of the biggest mountain or, um, you know, killing a massive whale. And, you know, there's something innately wired within certain types of individuals that gravitate towards that. And that was something that was missing within mentoring. You know, you make a certain amount of dollars per call, even some of the smaller consulting that I was doing around some of the Colby indexes, um, the way that was geared, you know, it was still trading dollars for hours. And I knew like, oh, I only have eight hours a day. I don't really want to work eight hours a day. I want to work like two to four. Um, how do I maximize how much I can make in one day and work as little as possible and work smart and, you know, understand how to, you know, really do well financially with that kind of model. Um, and that's what gravitated me a little bit more towards some of the bigger companies and the predictive index and the way they're structured. It's a little more like whale hunting. So it's just what excites me. It, you know, we all have to find what drives us. And then what are those needs and behaviors associated with those drives? That's what predictive index measures. And I, I learned that. Um, I think I learned that the hard way through running a small gym and then business mentoring and, you know, really not getting excited about, you know, I knew we were doing well financially, but it was just like the same every month and then up right. or down a little bit. And it was just, it was kind of crushing my soul. And I, I realized that I, I, I did not like that. I needed something different than that structure of financial reward, if you will. You know, learning about other entrepreneurs and, and networking with other entrepreneurs and business owners that, um, kind of have this mindset was really freeing for me. When I gave my resignation for in the education world, I was actually running other businesses and doing better in those areas. But it was it was very lonely because I didn't understand people didn't understand why I would, why I would give up something so consistent and so wonderful with this great pension package. It was it was I was literally being like called out like you are just absolutely crazy. Yeah. And the, when I heard you say whale hunter now. This isn't the first experience. I'm surrounding myself with people that have that same mentality as me of like, let's just go for something bigger and it's okay to change. Change is great. But when I heard you say that, Will Hunter, it like really struck a chord with me. Like, oh my gosh, it's a really great way to kind of put the way that I operate. Like, yeah, you're doing great in this place, but why would you ever leave doing that? It's because, well, I kind of was at a ceiling and it was kind of consistent and I'm chasing the big one. Yeah. And Part of the thrill is and it's, the it's okay. It's not right for everybody, for sure. No. Um, some people can make a hundred grand a year 
for the rest of their life and get a you know little adjustment for inflation and, and be perfectly happy. I'm the kind of person that would rather have a zero guarantee on how much I can make, but I don't want a ceiling either. I want to know that if I put in um, or if I figure the game out, if I put in my effort and, and learn the, the game and learn how to play the game, I want to know that I can be rewarded uh, very handsomely without limit because that's what excites me. It's not necessarily the, the paychecks or the money. It's that that excitement of not knowing or being able to bring home, I don't know, a $60,000 paycheck in one month and then maybe 40 and 20 and, you know, having the excitement of the chase, I think that's what keeps me going. And um, people have that to a varying degree. Some people are, are very averse to risk and do not want that at all. They just want that certainty. I can't live in that world. I need, I need that uh, to survive and thrive. Yeah. I, I found myself for a while kind of thinking those people were wrong. Like you're wrong for wanting to be okay sitting in that at that desk and earning, you know, 80 to 120K a year and knowing that it, you're 20, this is going to be your salary, you know, teaching, you knew your salary outcome way far ahead of time. Right. And it was so different from my mindset. I thought they were wrong, but doing these assessments, like you're talking about and understanding myself better and understanding other people better. There's a lot of different assessments mm -hmm. really gave me freedom to like, it, it took away that, like that real cognitive dissonance I had around what other people were doing and thinking and how they were, were acting. So again, just always pointing back to really getting to know about yourself and about others and where, where those roles really play uh, a strength into yeah. their existence. And think about the compassion and the empathy and the understanding you have for not only people like yourself, but people who are the exact opposite. Right. And you know, there is not a, there is not one type of role for everybody and not everybody maybe should be an entrepreneur. Um, you know, maybe not everyone should be an entrepreneur. Maybe not everyone should be in a, a, a sales kind of hunter role. Um, it just depends. Even within sales, there's so many different kinds of sales. Yeah. There's farmers, you know, uh, managing relationship building, then there's, there's hunters. So you have to figure out where your strengths are, what you're, how you're wired, what drives you, what excites you. And you have to be able to put yourself into that position to, to bring out the best in yourself. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I want to honor your time and we're almost out of time. So, um, I'm, I'm going to transition. Uh, I think I could talk for hours more on just that alone, uh, because it's been a long journey. <laughs> I'm sure we will. Yeah. So, um, let's, let's dig a little bit into you and, and kind of see what makes you tick. If you're trying, when you're trying to learn, um, what's your, or let's say you have a half hour of time, what's your go-to, a book, a podcast, a blog, a YouTube video? Mostly um, audible books or not as much podcasts anymore. I, I kind of go through little waves where I'm obsessive about Me specific too. things and I'll yeah. dive, you know, super deep. Um, but it, it, it all depends. It could be YouTube lectures from, you know, our, our fellow guy jordan peterson um or it could be books on audible it could be um it could be anything it could be podcasts but i kind of i switch a lot right um i always make sure that i'm i'm doing something though uh whether it's walking around you know savannah and getting some sun some vitamin d and listening to something consuming something that's gonna you know maybe spark an idea within me i love that but other than that, you know, just keeping my physical health in, in line and, you know, continuing to um, nurture that mental health is big um, meditation, you know, a fasting type of regimen, I'll call it that I've adopted. Um, yeah. 
I want just, to touch you know, on little that. things that every month for the last, you know, like gosh, over 36 months now, um, I've been doing a fast every month where I just will drink, you know, black coffee, water, um, some lament, I don't know, the unflavored lament for oh, yeah. sodium and electrolytes, potassium, magnesium. Um, but I'll fast anywhere from three days to 10 days. Um, so over the last three years, I've done many 10 days, uh, many seven days, a lot more three days. And it's just kind of like a reset, not necessarily to look better or aesthetic wise, but it's a nice opportunity to kind of dance with the the little voice in your your head that uh, speaks so loudly while you're working out and or while you're meditating. But it's a prolonged dance with that voice, right? So it's three days to 10 days. And that voice says a lot of things that uh, are not true. And uh, <laughs> you begin questioning, like, why do I listen to that little voice in my head? It's telling me I can't do this, or I should do this. And, you know, I know it's not true. For example, if I've already fasted multiple times for 10 days, and I'm into a four, you know, four day out of a, a seven day fast, that little voice is going to start, you know, negotiating with you as to why you should break the fast and why you should eat, and why you should just start next month and, you know, all these little things. Um, so it's just an opportunity to, you know, kind of develop more self-awareness, um, different path, different avenues. Some people like psychedelics, some people like fasting, some people like meditation, some people like fitness, running. I mean, they're all kind of different vehicles to the same end and uh, different degrees of how they get you there, right? Yeah, that's, I've always been fascinated the first time I met you. It was kind of a funny story and I, I may be mixing two stories, but you were in a fast and you, I think you'd got like Invisalign, something on your teeth. And I you said, I can't get them off. So I'm just going to keep going. You remember that? Yeah, that, that, that was the first fast I, I ever did. Oh, wow. Um, and how I got into it. I got the Invisalign. Um, this was in, well, gosh, I don't even know, 2018, maybe or 2017. I think 17. But I got Invisalign. Yeah, it might've been 17. I got the Invisalign. I couldn't get it out, you know, after I got Invisalign at like 11 a.m. I couldn't get it out for lunch. It was just like super tight. I never did it before, so I left it in. Skipped dinner because of it. I'm like, you know what? I'll just eat tomorrow. So I got to like 12 hours and uh, I just went to sleep and I woke up and I'm like, ah, you know what? Maybe I'll try to go 24 hours total. So I went to 24 hours. Then I'm like, all right, I'm going to try to get to the night. So I'm just going to get to the night and then see what happens. And it just day by day, and that ended up fasting for seven days. Um, and people were like, yeah, you need to eat. Like, you look terrible. You're getting skinny. You look like Gandhi right now. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, well, I feel amazing. And, you know, people with like diabetes and like all these health problems were telling me I was unhealthy. Uh, and, you know, it was, it was dangerous for me to be fasting. Like, well, you, you're not very healthy yourself. So uh, I feel amazing. So I'm not going to listen to what you're telling me about health, right? And it was just, it was an amazing experience. It was, it was profound. It was a spiritual experience. Now I've, I've repeated a fast every month since then. Nothing as profound as that initial one. I don't know what happened, why the stars aligned, but it was definitely profound and life-changing. But since then, I've just adopted that as kind of a, a, a monthly thing that I do. Um, and I just kept it up doing hard things. You, you said really early in this podcast, you know, if you're not growing, you're dying. And I, I think the more you kind of accept that mindset and you, you put things into place that are hard, like you put like rituals and habits, and then you're always kind of like stepping out of that comfort zone. I think that's what keeps us sharp. Like I've, I've really yeah. stepped into that the last two years, haven't done the, the fasting thing, but, um, it's been mind blowingly awesome. 
to do yeah, it. Yeah, and it's just a different different vehicle. Um, you know, I used to joke with my my members at, at the CrossFit gym that used to go six days a week. I'm like, you think working hard, working out hard? Like, try not working out for two weeks and see what goes on in your mind. Like, they, nobody would do it, of course, because, you know, like, you need to challenge yourself in other ways. So try not working out for two weeks and see what happens. Like, can you come back? Are you going to completely, you know, self-sabotage? You should find out. Like, where is your breaking point, right? Yeah, that's good. That's good. Okay, same question I ask everybody at the at the end of the podcast. If you could go back in time, which you can't, but if you could, and share one piece of advice to yourself. What would that be? Oh, it's so hard because some of the things that I, I think I would share with a past version of myself are the exact things that I needed to become who I am today. So some of the worst things and worst experiences and the biggest failures that you would imagine you would go back and tell yourself, don't do it. I can't in good conscience do that because I wouldn't be who I am today. And it's ridiculous. So I don't, I don't know that I have one. Maybe embrace the failures. Because I wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe I just say, hey, it's going to be a bumpy road, but it'll be worth it. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's kind of how I think of it. It's like, I'm, and I am who I am today. And I've grown who I've grown today because of all that really tough stuff I've gone through. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Well, Brian, tell us a little bit about yourself, your business, what you do so that uh, people can reach out to you. I'll put everything in the, in the show notes. They can go there for links, but give us your little. Yeah. Story. Yeah. So I do coaching. Um, I do um, talent coaching for anywhere from, you know, if you're even a, a single entrepreneur and you need help with that, I have something for you. Um, if you're a leader in a company, I have something for you as well. So talent optimization is really kind of a, the overarching theme of what I do, um, whether it's an individual or a team or a company, I can help. Um, you can find me at www.expressingthegeniuswithin.com, all one word, or LinkedIn, uh, Brian Alexander. You can find me there and it has a ton of my content, uh, video content on there as well. So happy to help. One to uh, one thousand, I can I can absolutely help you. That's awesome. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks a lot, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Stories That Sell podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, be sure to leave a rating and review, and subscribe to hear interviews with incredible guests each and every week.